Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Hey there, before we get to the show, I've got one favor to ask. Do not worry, it does not cost you a cent. My employers just want to know a bit more about you so we can figure out how to make stuff you like and how to tell advertisers just how desirable you are. To tell us how smart, attractive, and affluent you are, please go to the link in the show notes or directly to vox.com slash pod survey. Thanks. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and today we are here to talk about soccer football yeah yeah it's a media story we'll tell you it is um it's it's underway the men's world cup is underway it comes around every four years it's in qatar it's very exciting it's also very morally fraught because it's in qatar so here to talk about it you can hear him sighing is not elon musk it's roger bennett co-host of the most excellent men in blazers podcast proprietor of a very interesting media company as well that i'm going to make him talk about even though he doesn't want to talk about welcome back roger oh ptk it's good to be here Thank you for coming on. You were performing live for, I think, over a thousand pleasant, pleasantly rowdy soccer fans last <laughs> night on a really rainy, unpleasant night and in, in basically in the Hudson River. Um, soccer fever has, has gripped Manhattan. Men and Blazers fever has gripped Manhattan. Question for you. Do you want to start off with sugar or, or medicine? Do you want to do vegetables or dessert when we talk about the World Cup? This is, you know, I am a football person, Peter. I go to sport. I always thought because especially the World Cup is a a mirror that reflects humanity when two teams take the field. I've always reveled in the fact that their nation's histories take the field alongside them. I've always thought that was truly a fascinating way to glimpse the world. Unfortunately, it's thrilled me in the past in, in the deepest, most profound fashion. Right now, you're asking the question because we're about to hurtle towards a World Cup that's going to be held in Qatar. For American listeners, that would be like taking March Madness and saying, it's going to be in Bahrain this year, lads. Um, and so we sports fans who go to sports to get away from all the human darkness have been forced to become geopolitical experts. Let's start with the darkness and then move into the light. Okay, we're, start, we're starting on vegetables and medicine. So why, why does it matter that this tournament is being held in Qatar? Why should we care that it's in the equivalent of Bahrain? Why should we care that live golf happens? Why should we care that uh, Paris Saint-Germain are owned by the Qatari government, Manchester so City spell, by Petro Spell it out for us. What's, what's the problem? Well, I don't know how you want to cut this. The World Cup, for your listeners who are not familiar with, with it, it's like a bar mitzvah, which is soccer-themed, to which the whole world is invited. It's the single largest collective experience um, it, culturally. It's stopped wars. I think the audience, I don't know how they compute these, Peter K. I'm pretty sure they just make these numbers up. Five billion people. A gazillion. Into this. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Super Bowl, but like times a gazillion in every regard. And when something wonderful happens, you feel that deep instant sense of connection with everybody around the world. It's been compared to a to an eclipse which hits the planet for a month instantaneously. It's joyous, but it has been, and it's a history. I've just done a, 
a show on this with Tommy Vito called World Corrupt, a pod series. It's constantly, it's not a new thing. You know, Mussolini held the World Cup early on as a propaganda victory. The first World Cup I remember as a tiny kid, 1978, the Argentinian military hunter managed to jack the World Cup, have it there and try and present a human face of an inhuman regime to the world. So that's a constant. But in 2010, FIFA, the organisation which is meant to safeguard football, it's essentially a cross-national, it's been compared to a a cross-national mafia, the way they jack uh, money from nation after nation. They announced the next two states that would host the World Cup, 2018, they gave it to Vladimir Putin's Russia. And then, shockingly, it was meant to go to USA 2022. But somehow, out of nowhere, on the day, it was awarded to Qatar. And in World Corrupt, we interviewed a Department of Justice spokesperson, Matthew Miller, who was there during the award and saw what happened the night before in terms of just the 24 voters who decided where they would go, walking around laughing, just the amount of bribes that went down. And Matthew Miller said it was the, quote, he said, I, you know, have taken down mafias, have dealt with narco crime. This was, quote, the most corrupt thing I have ever seen. And then he laughed, broke and said, and I came through in New Jersey politics. Those are his words. So uh, Tony Soprano, no doubt, rolling in his grave as he hears that. But it, there's the bribery that led it to be in Qatar, a state that's smaller than Connecticut, not fit for hosting a tournament. It's 120 degrees there in the summer. They talked about, we'll have radio control clouds. Yeah, they, it they initially planned on having it in the summer. And they, the FIFA said, yeah, that's, that sounds like a good idea. And everyone had to point out that people would, the players would die. Yeah, the players would die. Um, and so FIFA, yeah, that's not so good. So they essentially just buckled the whole season. It's going to be in November. And then to get this state, this tiny state, ready to host the tournament, they needed eight stadia. And to the world's horror, they've built the stadia on the back of um, a foreign workers whom the Guardian reported six and a half thousand have died, have lost their lives to get the state tournament ready. So this is for our entertainment circus, but it's a World Cup that's literally soaked in blood, Peter. And, and on top of that, Qatar has a miserable human rights record, doesn't really have human rights. And, and even today, right on cue, uh, we're taping this a couple days in advance. There's reports of journalists being hassled for the, the mere sin of taking out their camera and taking a picture like in the the press club, like it's it's bananas. It seems like it's not going to go well. It's a fire festival. It is. I told FIFA, don't get your rule to organize the World Cup. It's not going to end well. There's the press freedom. There's the LGBTQ plus uh, uh, freedom. Uh, there's the workers, the, the, the workers' rights. There's the women's rights. I mean, say to host a World Cup, which is meant to reflect joy. And FIFA, by the way, constantly, they took the World Cup to South Africa in 2010. Mandela was there. They said, FIFA can change the world. They took it to Brazil. They said, we're going to make South America great. We will change the world. And ahead of this one, you know, they've taken footballers who, I mean, all of us did growing up. We all dreamt of playing in the World Cup. My dreams did not come true, Peter. My dream was actually to be on your podcast. Congrats. Made it. But these poor footballers, they dreamt of playing in the World Cup. They now have to become geopolitical experts as they're asked about gay rights, about women's rights, about deaths um, of foreign workers. And this is a World Cup, which is essentially... So FIFA's response was, a week ago, they said, do not talk about human rights. Football cannot change the world. 
Um, and then the head of FIFA, Infantino, a, if you wanted to close your eyes for a second, listeners, and think about what a Bond villain baddie would look like, you'd probably picture Johnny Infantino, even though you've never seen him. Yesterday, he visited the G20. Um, this gentleman who received a Medal of Freedom from Vladimir Putin after the 2018 World Cup, two of them, which he won't give back, even though everybody's demanded it, he announced... Football can change the world again. Let's have a ceasefire now for Russia's benefit in the war. And so this is the level of hypocrisy, the level of geopolitics. I just want to talk about football. I want to talk about Lionel Messi. And instead, I've got to work with Tommy Vitor to try and detangle this crap. So if you're watching the the U.S.-Wales game, which is on today, maybe it's already happened, depending on when you listen, or the U.S.-England game, you're going to be watching on Fox, which has already said, hey, by the way, we think that's we think this is fine. You won't hear us talking about Qatar. Uh, but but, but, but have you seen Qatar Airways? Have you seen the Qatar Tourist Board? Have you gone sand dune buggy racing in the desert? It's electric. You'll hear a lot of that, Peter. So they're all in. So that's the negative part, not to be flipped. But when we do watch Fox and we are watching the game, what do we have to look forward to uh, as a U.S. fan or as people who just enjoy... Maybe not people who aren't soccer fans. What If you're not a soccer fan, what's the best way to approach this stuff? Well, I do want to say as we do flip, I do want to acknowledge that there is a habit with sport that the second the whistle blows and the sport occurs, we become anesthetized to the human darkness that lies within. And again, you do not listen to Men in Blazers. You know, I, I recorded a podcast with Brendan Hunt of Ted Lasso, six-part series, Go Go USA, where he and I relived every wonderful moment of the US men's national team's history. That's why we watch sports, to revel, to make memories, to connect to each other. But I don't want to just move from one to the other and allow that dulling of the senses once the whistle is. Once Lionel Messi charges through five defenders and just kind of like spins round in a pirouette and then farts the ball into the goal from long distance. I don't want to be like, oh my God, did you just see that? That was his trademark move for the fart. Yeah. Yeah. And kids across the playgrounds all over the world will be doing the messy, the mess, the fart trademark, which I'm sure Adidas will quickly get a cleat out. I don't want that to happen. We almost have to watch this, Peter. And I want to acknowledge this with a split screen mentality, cognitive dissonance. We can't allow that to kick in. Yeah, I was I was going to ask if how, how, I was going to ask how you how you imagine we'll do this cuz it's not the first time we've been asked to sort of think about the political implications of a big sporting event. It now happens routinely with the Olympics. We just went through it with China, like you mentioned with Russia. I think there's more awareness this time around, probably not a lot. Um I'm certainly aware of it, but I really want to watch soccer too. I mean, is no one's suggesting that I not watch, right? No, I, I, yeah. so there was originally a, a feeling that some of the teams might boycott, but that was that was pretty well um, out of the equation. We we did this show, World Corrupt, with Tommy Vitor. I can tell you our approach. Uh, you know, Men in Blazers is fairly high culture, low culture. We will revel in all the football narrative, but I didn't want to normalize this moment because Saudi Arabia are making noises about taking the 2030 World Cup um in the same way and i didn't want to you know they they brought a football team in the last year um uh, newcastle united up north in england saudi arabia currently one of the top teams just just pure with saudi money they've they've made it one of the best teams in the in the world they've made they made it delirious they, they've taken a team with a proud tradition coincidentally now plays in saudi arabian colors their third strip is white and green it's this is all sports washing it's all uh, brand platform. Don't think about Khashoggi. Don't think about bone sores. Don't think about murder. Think about Newcastle. They're in the third place in the Premier League. They're fantastic. The fans, the passion, 
the authenticity. This is, I mean, it is. It's a. It's it's putting a a mask of glory on 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 true human darkness. And so I didn't want to normalize this World Cup and be that person that's like, oh, Lionel Messi, fifth World Cup, can he win it? I want to be that person because I do want to watch that and I want to revel in it. But I also, it almost demands split screen watching. So we did. Uh, you know, Tommy Vito is a mate of mine from Crooked Media. And about seven months ago, uh, we began work on World Corrupt where we took this six-part investigation into why would FIFA award this crown jewel to Qatar, why would Qatar even want this? And ultimately, funnily enough, risk the Streisand effect. Now we're all talking about everything they didn't want us to talk about. It's really fascinating. And what should we do about it as fans? And so you know, we interviewed journalist Tariq Panja of the New York Times, activists, Human Rights Watch, um, footballers who have spoken out, many of them Scandinavian, um, including an incredible president of the Norwegian Football Federation, Lisa Klavnes, who actually spoke out bravely in FIFA's own um, Congress. Why are we doing this? Football has values and was told, this is not the place to talk about that. And also, you know, Megan Rapinoe, uh, Pete footballers like her, we interviewed all of them. And I hope to answer your question, Peter, every single fan goes through a similar process and decides on their own action steps. Um, FIFA are being pressured by a number of the teams now to match the enormous prize money that's given out to teams participating in the tournament, something like 440 million, that they want to have the same amount of money uh, given to the six and a half thousand families who've lost workers to build the stadium as reparations. Um, And so that's ultimately our position, but we are trying to approach it as a, and again, I am not a geopolitical expert, which is why I partnered with Tommy Vitor, but I do hope that fans go through that same process, even as we we do. And I know you want to get to the beautiful part of the football, the Lionel Messi, the Ronaldo, the mm-hmm. US team. God bless who are playing England. I cannot wait for that game. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So um, the US and and we talked about a year and a half ago, and and uh, this is the, an occupational hazard, I guess. You interview a podcast host, and then all of a sudden you become a, a huge soccer nerd and you consume <laughs> hours of you each week. And again, went to see you live last night. So oh. I've been watching a lot of the US team. I, I, I have a thoughts about the roster. They range between promising and thoroughly and dispiritingly mediocre. So... We hope that they get out of the first round of the tournament. We can't expect much more than that. What 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 should uh if if you're coming to the game cold, what should you be looking for from the U.S. this year? Oh, the U.S. men, just a dr- perpetual dreamers, yearners, wearers of stonewashed denim shirts in 1994. I think possibly done more to promote the uh, acceptance of mullets in the uh, in that time within uh, the footballing pantheon of haircuts than pretty well any other national team. We've always been a collective fist whose effect uh, as a collective has far outstripped the individual pieces. We failed to qualify for the last World Cup 2018, a real, a true shame uh, that set football back and the growth in this nation. Um, and the response to that amongst the young players was to go en masse. They left the United States to be the best that they could be. They realized they had to go to Europe where the, you know, the best and try and grind their way up the, the pillar of football. And what we now have as a result is just a slew of what's the most accomplished set of individuals we've ever had. As very good, very young. 
Very young, very raw, very green. You know, we used to get excited when our players played against Chelsea, Juventus, Milan. Now we have players, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, off and Texas, Sergino Dest, the Dutch-American who play for all of those teams. So as individuals, they are phenomenal. And what we are yet to be able to do is to take this new young roster, all of whom are being coached by the elite best coaches in world football and bring them together as a unit, have an American coach lead them and inspire them tactically to the best kind of football. We, we have a self-loathing as Americans and don't let my accent fool you listeners. I love America as much as Kenny Powers loves America. I am all in uh, on the Team America thing. But we do, after 30 years of having to prove ourselves to ourselves in this country where acceptance of football has taken so bloody long. It's football here has almost been like space to Captain Kurt, the game's final frontier. And so people who love football had to really fight to have it accepted. We are very close but internally, the football lovers, they feel they need to prove themselves to the world and play complicated football, play audacious football, play just pretty, just, de- like, you know, incredibly tactically. And your or- suggestion is they should play more like brute Americans and just sort of force their way to success America. Through, through effort. Yeah, just go back to the collective fist, shut down opponents, fight. I mean, it's I'm a Chicago Bears fan, the old Sid Luckman crap, you know. Uh, two yards and a pile of dust. We should play that on the football field and everything will be okay. The World Cup is coming here in 2026 to Canada, Mexico and the United States. And this is a young team who will learn a lot in this crucible with the world watching them. I pray there is a great scenario that I can see. Young kids who don't know enough to be afraid and overachieve. There's a dark scenario that we won't talk about because I don't want to speak it into existence. But either way, these guys will learn so much, Peter, and be all the better off for it when they play before Home Crowd 2026. We'll be right back with Roger Bennett, but first, a word from a sponsor. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. And we're back. These games are all in the afternoon if you're if you're on the East Coast, so they're, they're, it's pretty easy, especially if you're in a work from home era, to to take a couple hours and, and watch them. If you're if you want to watch soccer beyond the U.S., either because you really want to watch this stuff or because the U.S. will get booted at some point, who who else should you pay attention to in this tournament? Who's exciting? Who who are you excited about? Well, football is a Star Wars cantina um, of just joyous, eclectic, diverse, remarkable characters. The joy of the World Cup is there is a human being whose name we currently do not know, who is going to you know, slalom through an entire team and then smash the ball from 40 yards straight into the Wolf Blitzer situation room. And the world will go mad. And within seconds, kids all across the schoolyards, in you know, dusty schoolyards, muddy schoolyards, snowy schoolyards, all over the world will be screaming out that person's name. That was Mbappe a few years ago. Yeah, and please God, it will be... Oh, Jordan Morris from Seattle this time round, but I do have my doubts. And um, that is the joy. So it's just the joy of discovery, the joy of connectivity, the joy of global connectivity, which after COVID 
It's something I will never take for granted again. That feeling when you see something wonderful, you just know the whole world is just buzzing. Um, in the same way as like Celine Dion's Do You Believe in Life After Love is once faintly audible all over the world. There's very few things that connect us like that other than football right now. The big storyline going in, two goats of the modern period, Lionel Messi and Ronaldo. They couldn't be more different. Cristiano Ronaldo, if you don't know who that is, just think of a bottle of Dracon Noir turned into <laughs> human form. He's a petulant show pony, a magnificent footballer, uh, driven by self in, in, in his great days, driven by self. Now he's in his decline. And a self he's an Instagram fashion. influencer. He is. I mean, he's got more, I think, 490 million. In, uh, I think he's the most Instagram followers. Um in the world, here's a platform. Here's a global media platform in his own right. And um, he plays with Portugal. He will, you know, at the moment he's in decline and is destroying everything around him as a result of that. But Lionel Messi is the, the opposite. He's a tiny little diminutive thing. He looks like he's just walked out of supercuts. Um, and he happens to be, to me, the greatest footballer that's ever played the game. I once interviewed uh, the great poet Eduardo Galeano, the Uruguayan, and he told me that Diego Maradona ran as if the ball was stuck to his shoe, but Lionel Messi, he runs as if the ball is actually inside his sock. And He, he plays is- for Argentina. Yes, who uh, this is his fifth. He said it's his last World Cup. He's won everything with his team, mostly Barcelona, now Paris Saint-Germain. But in the World Cup, this tiny little man, the pressure of expectation of the Argentinian nation, it's almost been like chainmail. The shirt pulling on that light blue and white stripes has almost crushed his human soul. Um, And to watch him leave the World Cup in tears, I always think of uh, this is what it sounds like when doves cry when I see him exit. And that's what Prince really was singing about, Lionel Messi crapping the bed at the World Cup. Got to the final once, lost, gone nowhere near it for uh, three other times. Greatness is judged. I don't believe this, but greatness is judged by titles. He is playing age 35, joyful, free, ecstatic football again. It's astonishing to witness. If he can deliver a World Cup to Argentina, it's kind of kind of stuff that epic Greek ballads would have been written about in the olden days, Peter. So if we are not going to root for the U.S. or England because they're out, um, or in my, my, my birth country of Wales, um, oh, you suggest we, we route we route for root for Argentina. Okay. Were you born were you born in Wales? I was born in Mumbles outside of Swansea. Yes. Oh my god, this is amazing. That is nominative determinism, and now you're a podcaster for Mumbles. Yeah. Uh the supposedly Dylan Thomas said Swansea was the, the graveyard of ambition. Um, and I've always liked that. I don't know if it's true, but I like pretending. That I think that's true. I think Swansea's probably very proud that it's the graveyard of ambition. The um, it is a beautiful country. Last night on stage, we had John Oliver representing England, uh, and we had Matthew Reese from the Americans representing Wales. And that story, that Welsh story, that joyous fan base who've been dreaming of a World Cup since 1958, yearning, never got close really until recently. Uh, they are now there. And he said, this is a defining moment, mostly so we can let the world know we're nothing to do with England. Wales and England are actually playing each other. But he's also like, and we've dreamt of this. And now where are we going to go? Brazil, Sweden, the Netherlands, some incredible people. He's like, no, oh God, we've got to go to Qatar. God bless everyone from Wales. I cannot wait to watch them. God bless Matthew Reese. Really odd to see him speak in his native accent. That was wild. Speaking of Qatar and and, and grossness, um, I want to go back to the conversation we had when we first talked a couple of years ago about the overall trend in world soccer, which is the 
biggest and best teams are being acquired by billionaires and nation states. We mentioned Saudi Arabia. Qatar owns a team. Uh, American billionaires own some of the biggest teams. Um, Russia, uh, Abramovich owned a, a team but was forced to sell it after the, the Russian invasion. So you have these teams with essentially unlimited money. Um, and then everyone else literally can't compete. And it seems like that's an inevitable trend that will only continue. Are you worried about the, the overall state of the game? Peter, let's bum the audience out. Football. By the way, some of the audience might say, look, it's capitalism. It's, it's great. Trans- well, that's what's so funny. We are here in America, the land that we love. Mumbles, son of Mumbles and son of Liverpool. And... Um, Funny enough, America is the one place where you have draft systems, salary caps, rev shares. Uh, I was on a show recently where the American host said, yeah, when you think about it, essentially sports in America is really run on a system, which is socialism for rich guys. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that actually drew the American owners that I've spoken to, many of them, to the game to begin with, you know, one of them said to me, I own a baseball team. When I sell a cap, I have to share one thirty second of that or whatever with the Milwaukee Brewers. And he said, I signed, I bought the team the second I thought, wow, if I sell one of their shirts, what? I get to keep all the money myself. And there's a wonder about it, um, just a, a greed at the heart of it, a capitalism at the heart of it. But there's also a darkness. There's a thing called relegation, which if you're in baseball terms, imagine the worst team in baseball every year is thrown into AAA. And then the Portucket Red Sox are brought up from AAA in a major league for one year. So you can actually, if you don't perform well, you are brutally punished and it creates a jeopardy. And Americans see soccer as the future. And soccer was changed by an oligarch, Roman Abramovich, buying Chelsea so that we know the name Roman Abramovich. It works. We know his name. We know his name. Uh, and then during the Ukraine invasion, he was forced to sell it to an American, Todd Burley, a hilarious character. Um, but it's the second Todd Burley mention we've had on this podcast in like a month. Had Janice Min, who worked for him at the Hollywood Reporter. Todd said you sent me that and I loved it. Todd yeah. Save America. That gentleman, I just he's 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 a complicated one. So the Americans essentially saw these oligarchs come in, put money in, and become super steroidy teams. Nation states were the next wave. Um, Abu Dhabi brought Manchester City. Suddenly you're competing against fleshy wallets which have infinite amounts of money. And yes, football, the big super brands in each country, Chelsea, uh, Manchester United, Manchester City in Germany, Bayern Munich, um, teams like that are pulled away from the pack. There's no, and football winning is completely connected to balance sheets. Even teams in Spain that sound great, Real Madrid, Barcelona are mortgaging their futures to try and compete. So the game is financially utterly broken. Um, more Americans, by the way, are poured in in the past four years. I think there's something fascinating happening uh, that they have seen that the next hundred years, soccer, they've seen the global possibility from a business perspective. They all come in and like, we think we can double you re- double revenue lines mm-hmm. at this club. Todd Burley said that. Chelsea, you know, no fan is like, and our owner's going to double revenue lines. Doubling revenue lines. That's why we watch. So there is a change. Americans, we don't like oligarchs anymore. They can't own teams. The Sheikhs thing, I think, uh, is is kind of complicated. The English people have realized now they have uh, an oil deficit. They're mm-hmm. like, ooh, this is like, oh, what? Saudi Arabia now allying with Russia? This is a bit complicated. The Newcastle fans are way up north. It's one of the poorest cities in England. They have heat centers set up this um, winter for... 
Newcastle citizens who cannot afford to heat their own homes so they don't freeze to death. And so these fans who love the team and love their owners, they don't, you don't make that connection. Why am I freezing my ass off? Oh, it's uh, you almost divorce the two things. Mm-hmm. And so football is broken. But Peter, we don't talk about it. We don't want to know. As soon as that whistle blows again, you know, oh, it's a game. Let's watch. The and worry we get would be that. that 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 you no longer have competitive games. That, that we don't. Minnows... Peter, we don't. We don't. We don't. It's a bit long gone. It's like every single year in the Premier League, which is the greatest league in the world. I love it. It is. It is a telenovela played out live by men with terrible haircuts and surplus neck tattoos. I love it. I live for it and its narrative. But it's every year, the top four, almost every year, it's the financial, the the, the wages uh, for the players determines outcome. So it is, that's a cognitive dissonance though, you know. Speaking of business and capitalism and things oh. that make you uncomfortable, when you were on before, <laughs> I, I said, is this really, is podcasting about soccer full-time for you? And, and I feel terrible. Uh, I'm a bigger asshole than I normally am because I have learned it's absolutely a full-time job for you. You're putting out, how many podcasts a week are you putting out? Men in Blazers started as one podcast. It's now a Men in Blazers media network. And we put out with talent, you know, like Rory Smith from the New York Times on European football with Becky Sauerbrunn, the captain of the U.S. women's team. We have a women's uh, podcast. I put out between seven and eight podcasts a week. Yeah, if I were to listen to all your content, I probably would not be employed. Um, The newsletters, social media, you're doing a 10-city tour. Um, so yes, it's a real business. You, you're working with Amazon. Uh, someone who knows both of us told me that you got a fantastic deal from them. So God bless you. Um, you speaking to my mom again, please. Yes, I talked. I called your mom. <laughs> what happens in a, in in between World Cups? I'm assuming. So right now, you're going to churn out a ton of content. I assume this is maybe your most lucrative year you've had in a while because a lot of stuff is going on. You got a book you just held up, and then what happens in the non in non-World Cup times for this business? How do you calibrate something that peaks every four years? Oh, Peter, football never stops. That is the wonder um, of this game. I, I always say that football allows me to feel feelings, joy, misery, victory, defeat, that I guess normal people feel in real life, but I'm dead to inside. And so that's why I watch. You know, uh, And it never stops. This is the joy. When I moved to the United States... In right before the 1994 World Cup, childhood dream of mine, uh, as we talked about last time to move here, the one thing that didn't exist in the land that I love was the game that I love. You know, I'm from Liverpool. Football is how we announced ourselves to the world. The 1994 World Cup was meant to turn football over the top. Long as we joke on our podcast, soccer, uh, America's sport of the future, as it has been since 1972. And it was meant to make football like a hula hoop or a, a, a pogo stick, a trend that swept the nation. And it didn't. Um, and instead, its climb has been slow and steady. And I realized that in 2006, I used to go and watch Premier League games when I lived in D.C. in a bar called the Lucky Bar. It was on Saturday morning, 7.30, and a grim and small motley crew of English expats would watch the games together. Um, And then I came back in 2006. I was there when the US were playing Italy in the World Cup with my wife. And the bar had a line around the block that was as if the Beatles had reformed. And it was then that I realized, holy crap, something has changed here. And what's changed is... The internet has allowed Americans to connect to the ongoings of Liverpool, Manchester United, as close from Los Angeles or Minneapolis as if they lived right by their stadia. 
Um, EA Sports FIFA, the game, has uh, has um, connected an entire generation of, of young Americans to the craziness of teams, personalities, styles of play in dorm room after dorm room. And the two things that, and also the the broadcast, the streamers, you know, Paramount Plus, the so Champions easy League, to watch this, Peacock, stuff, you know, ESPN Plus, just a, a smorgasbord of football, and they've realised football fans will pay eight dollars, nine dollars, ten dollars a month to feast on it once they have them. And so, what's happened? Is that World Cup to World Cup, a larger and larger audience was left behind on the beach. And Peter, it's an incredible moment um, in this nation. What works? I mean, you want to talk about business and you know I don't like talking about it because I'm filled with self-loathing. But I'll say this, what works in our media climate, our niche Passionate niches that have deep, deep emotional connections between um, the talent and the audience and the audience and the subject. And football is absolutely that in the sweet spot because our listeners have fallen so hard, so fast for football. Many of them can't believe how. Again, I can't stress enough that there were a thousand people in that in that uh, in that uh, venue last night there to watch you and another bald man talk about soccer. John Oliver, Matthew Reese. Kelly O'Hara, um, they're, they're not just there to talk about soccer. They're, you know, they're there to connect to each other. But, yep. but when you when you are a football fan in England, you go to the match and you sit by some same people every week. A tattooed bloke who gnaws his fingers when the team go one nil down. A, 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 a skinhead who screams and swears when the team go one nil up. That's how you connect to football. Here, you're mostly sitting in your pajamas, having a beer maybe at seven o'clock in the morning, um, watching. <laughs> Sheffield United play against Luton Town. You can't quite work out what this bug is that's hit you. And so to connect to each other, that's really why they were there last night, Mm -hmm. Peter. Ultimately, I've said this a couple of times, I'm just a surfer on a massive wave of football lovers that's hit America. I'm like Kelly Slater, but bald. And that is what has happened. And so without a World Cup, there's still a Premier League there's still a National Women's Soccer League, which is thriving. There's a Women's World Cup, the best World Cup coming next year from Australia. You know, there's the all the, there's so many narrative threads, and that's the audience we cater to. I will say you had your your audience last night, eighty percent, ninety percent men. You brought on Kelly O'Hara, uh, uh, a women's star. Huge applause. From the dudes all around me. They absolutely knew who she was and cared about her. I was shocked. She announced that she was moving to New York. The crowd went wild. The rise of the women's game, I think, is the greatest storyline uh, I've seen in my lifetime. When I grew up in Liverpool, if you were a girl that played football, you were shunned. It was you on the. We were misogynistic, massive, just a, a horribly macho society, and we were disgusting. And last year, England won the Euro Championships. They've become one of the best teams in the world. They've become beloved in the nation. And to see the rise of the game there, by the way, following the rise in America, America's been a pathfinder with Title IX. It's one of the most delirious. And, and now the commercial interest, you know, 90,000 people watched the US play England at Wembley um, a couple of months ago. There's audiences, there's great ratings on the television, there's great commercials. That is the story of my lifetime. I have a podcast once a week, Peter, the women's game with eight of the biggest stars in the American game and creating that narrative thread. I mean, that's why the audience were deliriously uh, ecstatic that Kelly was there because they know they'd love 
Um, they revel in it. And that's the future. Men's and women's. So in the book, Gods of Soccer, it's the best players that have ever played the game. We did it, men and women. It's all the same, all the same. And it has to be that way. It's not lip service from you. Um, Amazon, big tech company, rich tech company. Have you talked to them about the AMP app? Which looks like I built it. Sounds like I built it. Doesn't seem to work. Well, well very thank well. you for your service, service, yeah. Peter. As a technologist for building the AMP app, we just we use it a lot. We just had the U.S. manager Greg Berhalter, and like an hour and a half after he'd released the U.S. roster, join me on AMP uh, live on AMP and took questions. It was amazing. Very took good. questions from our fans. This it was their, amazing. This is their version of Spotify Live, which was their version of Clubhouse. But it's it's cool. It's Sports Talk Radio. It's just the AMP. The app is terrible. But you know that. You don't, you don't have to say it live on air. Don't worry. You know what? God bless. All I care about is that our fans can connect with us and that Bob Greg with two Gs can come on and take questions from the fans. And God bless. But um, what you want to ask me, am I going on the ro- on Bezos's rocket? Was that yeah, the next was question? That, that was the question. Was, are you going on <laughs> Jeff Bezos's midlife crisis? Roger Bennett, you run Men and Blazers. You are a world-class mensch. Thank you. Oh, Peter. Go, go, USA. By the way, may the United States men win the bloody World Cup in my life, Sam. Um, this, we got, what, how many? Four? <laughs> I'm doing the math. All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see you around, Roger. Thank you. Courage. Thanks again to Roger Bennett. Um, you can tell I enjoyed that. I, you can tell that this is one of the reasons I really like my job. People like Roger Bennett will talk to me. Um, and hopefully you enjoy listening to that conversation as well. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing and producing it, to our sponsors for bringing it to you for free. It's a Thanksgiving week episode of Recode Media, so we will see you after the holiday. Be safe and enjoy.